darkness of sin in him at all. And then this agape love is superior to all the other aspects or other types of love that he made. It's superior to all of them. But here's something that applies to every type of love, all the four types of love that we decided. This applies to all of them. It's something we need to remember. Love to be known must be shown. Love to be known must be shown. We need to remember that as husbands and wives and mamas and daddies and children to our parents and all that sort of thing. Love to be known must be shown. And this incredible gift of grace, this divine love, this agape love, and this divine light that is inherent in the essence of God would never have been known at all unless he chose to reveal it unto us. He had no inherent need in himself to reveal anything about himself, but because he loved, he has shown that love in revealing his love, his light, and that it can be known by some of mankind, this particular love and this particular light. And he did that, 1 John 4, 9. And this was manifested, the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him, very much like John 3, 16. God so loved the world, he sent his Son. And we're going to look very closely at 4, 9 in just a moment. Let's read our text. And this was manifested, the love of God toward us, because that he sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us because he hath given us of his spirit. Lord, we love you. We love each other. We love your word. We love being together to focus our attention together on your word. So this is that time we look forward to, Lord, to to study it together. And we praise you for the privilege. And Lord, no mortal is up to this. Just not. This is your holy word, your truth. And we're your hungry sheep. We want to be fed by you this hour. And so, Master, it has to be all of you and none of me. That's it, Lord. All of you and none of me for thy honor, thy praise, for thy glory, indeed, in our growth and grace. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, the manifestation of God's love. How was that done? He sent his son. Manifested means to make clear the Greek word there, to become 
clear, revealed to the mind, revealed to the senses, revealed to the judgment, to one's judgment, to be made clear. That's what the manifestation of God sending his son was intended to do. And notice it says toward us. God's love was manifested toward us. That's an interesting word there, us. <laughs> because you look at the Greek, it's the little Greek word in. E-N. In. It's a primary preposition. And it means a position is defined with being in cert within certain limits. Inside, within, God's love manifested when he sent his son was revealed within us. Now, in my opinion, which is sometimes humble, <laughs> this is a little gem here of elective love. God's love, what? Revealed in us. It's not just that the love of God was manifested for the public who happened to be on planet Earth that day when Christ was walking, teaching, and doing all of these things, and then crucified, but it was manifested in us. In us. Not in everyone. There are people out there that are elect of God yet to be saved. Hasn't been manifested in them yet. There are people out there that are not elect of God. And they're never going to be saved. And it's never going to be manifested in them. But in us who know the Lord Christ. His love has been manifested in us. Wow. Isn't that incredible love? Manifested in us. He's the only source of that love. And he chose to reveal it. And he chose to reveal it. Why? Because love is his essence. And love to be known must be shown. And he purposed that we would know his love. And that's the only reason, ladies and gentlemen, that Christ came to earth because the Father loved us and purposed to reveal his love to us in sending us that Son to be our Savior. Confirmed in verse 12, no man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwells in us and his love is perfected in us. We haven't seen God and we're not going to with our eyes. But we can see him in each other because as we mutually love each other, that's a demonstration of him and his existence in us, his presence in us. Because the love with which you love each other with, this type of love is beyond what the, the world experiences out there. It's the agape love of the Father manifested in us and flowing through us and interacting with one another as we mutually love each other and serve him together. And it's perfected in us. What does that mean? Perfected. Tell us. That's a Greek word. It means completion. So what we really say is this. When the love of God, by the grace of God, is manifested in us who have come to faith in Christ, the love is in us then, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the love of God in us, and then we're loving each other with a mutual love that you're born of God, I'm born of God, we are loving each other without agape love, that is bringing it to the perfection spoken of here. It's the full circle. That's what God intends. 
that he loved us, sent his son. We now love him back with the love which he placed in us, and we're loving each other with that same love. That's the flow, the divine flow. Remember from the original source I talked about flowing down through history? That's the divine love being efficacious to the extent that he intended it for it to be as we love one another. That's a confirmation of our salvation. But also, it's a confirmation of the reality. Well, it's said in Romans 5, 5, the love of Christ was shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that did that work. And here's the thing. Not only do we have this love for each other that we never knew before, far beyond anything else we ever experienced, but also the Holy Spirit is in us, manifesting himself in us, and that's another confirmation of our salvation. The love of God and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And you know, if you don't know what I'm talking about experientially, let us help you. Let us help you. If you don't know what it's like to have that love that you've never heretofore known, and if you don't know what it's like to know, to, to know that the Holy Spirit of God is in you, let us help you, okay? Because others have helped us in times past. Note the phrase, because that God sent his son. Sent. It's the word apostello. It's the word from where we get apostle, the sent ones. God sent his son. Sent him on a mission. And every apostle, everyone sent, every ambassador of any kingdom is always sent with credentials, as was the Lord Jesus Christ. Signs, wonders, healings, resurrections, as were the apostles. Credentials that these, this Savior and these apostles sent by him were from God. That's what Nicodemus said when he came at night. You've got to be from God, because no one can do what you're doing, Lord Jesus. No one, unless you're from God, the credentials. But that apostello, it's a perfect tense verb. It signifies the abiding and continuing mission, the results of that mission of the Lord Jesus Christ. He defined it himself. The Lord defined his own mission in his own words. Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. And that's what he does. That's what he has does. That's what he is doing. That's what he shall doing. Seek and save the lost. That'll continue until all the lost sheep are safely in the fold. I'm telling you, that's a blessing. When we understand that clearly and distinctly, what an incredible blessing it is when we have loved ones, people we care about that are unsaved and we pray for them and pray for them and pray for them and we never see a molecule of spiritual interest in their lives. It's, oh my. Well, there might not be one of the elect. I hope that's not the case. But if they are, <laughs> they're going to come to Christ. Before their heart stops on this planet, they are going to come to Christ. Because not one will be lost, and we'll all be in that eternal fold in heaven 
and all the sheep of God will be there. Only begotten son, monogenesis, only one type, the unique, the only one, that son, all the characteristics of his father. John said that in John 1, 1 and 14, the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten full of grace and truth. Jesus said to Philip, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Colossians 2.9, in him, in the Lord Jesus, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And our Savior that came bodily through a virgin's womb, in that Savior dwelt all the fullness and dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Kenneth Wiest, words that is in the Greek New Testament, said this, and I quote, Our Lord is the uniquely begotten Son of God in the sense that He proceeds by eternal generation from God the Father as God the Son in a birth that never took place because He always was. <laughs> Glory to God. In a birth that never took place, possessing co-eternally with God the Father and God the Spirit, the essence of deity. There's an interesting translator's note that I found in the, one of the Greek-English lexicons in the low 90. He said, this is another quote from Young. And, and there, this was in the context of translating the scriptures into other languages for missions, okay? That's the context of this. Before adopting a translation such as the Son of God, one must always investigate the extent to which an expression might already be used in a particular language. For example, as the Tamarimera language of Mexico, a group, indigenous group there, mankind is divided into two classes. This is their culture and this is what they think. Man class, mankind is only divided into two classes. Number one, there's the sons of God. That's the Tamarimera Indian. That's it. They were the sons of God. And all others were the sons of the devil. That was all other people. So in their mind, in their culture, there's only two types of people. These are the phrase we used a couple of weeks ago. It's them and us. <laughs> the them that are not us and us that are not them. It's interesting when you think about that, though, what the Lord Jesus told to the unbelieving Jews. And this is recorded in John chapter 8. You do the deeds of your father. said to him, we be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Jesus said unto them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I have proceeded from forth and come from my father, from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my words? Even because you cannot hear my words, you are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. Well, we can say this, can we not? Spiritually, 
we have something in common with the people group done in Mexico. Because there's really only two classes of people. And to use uh, in this age of race consciousness, we'll use the concept as they intended it. There are only two races of people. Only two races of people. There's the redeemed race saved by the blood of the Lamb. And there's the unredeemed race still lost and dead in their sin. Only two races of people on the whole planet. Make any difference what color they are, what language they speak. They're one or the other. Oh, those two races. So let's look at the word definition of propitiation. Webster says this. Propitiation is the act of propitiating. <laughs> Boy, isn't that helpful to you? And then that bless your socks off. The act of propitiate. Which is to propitiate is to make favorably inclined, to appease, to conciliate. And typically, it says, Webster did, it suggests the anger of a superior being. So you're trying to appease the anger of a superior out there to conciliate, to get back on the good side of them, so to speak. Biblically, propitiation means the turning away of wrath, typically done by a sin offering. Now, on that handout, what I've done, first of all, there's a diagram at the top. You see a little triangle. The rest of that on the front and back is right out of my notes here. And there's so many different words. I thought, hey, the best thing to do is to give you a handout so you can read along with me rather than having to track it all down. But you notice the triangle. And the direction of the arrows are, are important there. And Dr. James Montgomery Boyce was the first one he used this, uh, did this little diagram as he was preaching through Romans. So I certainly want to give him the credit. He's a godly man of God. Uh, boy, love his writings. Never met him personally except through his written page. But there's some, there's some theologians, some commentators say, well, it, you know, God was propitiated. And they say, well, no, you know, we weren't satisfying his wrath. It wasn't that because he's, this is a loving God. And he, he sent his son, so it's not an issue of wrath, which is heresy. Okay, it's heresy. Because God in his holy nature, there's no other possibility if you're a completely thrice holy God not to have indignation and wrath against sin. There's no other way for him to be. So this is why this, I'm pointing this out, that arrow is important on the left side. Now up here we have God, right? The top we've got God. God is in heaven. Down here, this line represents planet Earth. What's happening down here in response to the call and purpose of God for us. So we see Christ over there on Earth now and making propitiation. And notice the error goes from Christ to the Father. Our sins are propitiated in Christ. It's toward God, not God toward us. God is not propitiated towards us. He's not compromised or changed the position at all. He's immutable. 
He does not change. He's holy, and he makes no compromise with sin. God is propitiated in Christ. Then you go across there, and you see redemption as we come to Christ. And then you go a little farther over there. You see us, we, it says justification. That error comes down. We are justified by the Father. Christ was delivered for our offenses. That's the cross. Raised for our justification. That's the resurrection. As we come to faith in Christ, we are justified by the Father. And now you can follow along those verses. 1 John 4.10, we hear it in his love. Not that we love God, had nothing to do with any affection we might feel, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. In 1 John 2.2, 2, it's the same Greek word as in 4.10, propitiation. Both of those passages, that word is elasmos. It's a means of appeasing wrath. The means of appeasing wrath. What wrath? The wrath of God against sin and gaining the goodwill, so forth and so on. Romans 3.25, there's a different word. Still in the English translated, translation is translated propitiation. Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of the sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Set forth as a propitiation. That word, though, instead of being helasmos, is a form of the same root word, helisterion. It's a place. First of all, we have the means in that first word. Here we have the place, a place of propitiation. Translates mercy seat. Interesting passage in Luke 18, 13. Here's the publican praying in the temple. We've got one dude standing in the center stoning his, how righteous he is. And we've got a fellow over here who won't even look up towards heaven beating his breast and he cries out to God, be merciful to me. Now one thing we know right up, the guy in the center was under conviction. If he was convicted about anything, it was his goodness. That's bad. Over here is a guy who's convicted cross-eyed. He won't even look up to heaven. He's beating himself in the chest, crying out for mercy. That is Holy Spirit conviction. Jesus said after that, though, that guy went home justified. This guy did not. This guy went home like he came. This guy went home justified under conviction. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You know what that merciful name word is right there? It's, it's this. Perpetuate the different form of the word, but it means to be perpetuous to me. So literally, literally, that verse can be translated, God be perpetuous to me, be perpetuated to me. Same word, same root word. Hebrews 9, 5, 3 and 5. Talk about the tabernacle. After the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden center and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid around about with gold, wherein was a golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of the covenant and so forth, over the cherubims of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat, of which we now cannot speak particularly. 
That's the only word in Hebrews that makes me think there's some possibility that Paul didn't write it. Because everything he spoke about, everywhere else, he spoke about particularly. And he went into a lot of details. And sometimes, you know, sentences this long. Mercy seat. Philisterion. That's the same word that is in Romans 3.25. Place of propitiation. And then you go to Leviticus, the Old Testament. Talking about the Holy of Holies. And purifying Aaron shall take of the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it with the finger, his finger upon the mercy seat eastward. And before the mercy seat shall he sprinkle of the blood with his finger seven times. Then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering, that is for his people, and bring his blood within the veil and do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it upon the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. And he shall make an atonement Sprinkling blood on the mercy seat. And he shall make an atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of the transgression of their sins. That's the preparation. And then subsequently, year by year, the high priest came once per year into the Holy of Holies, yet not without blood, always with blood, sprinkled on the mercy seat, which covered the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was what told them how to live. It was a witness of how they should live. It was also a testimony against them how they didn't live. And thus, that's where God met with them. Blood applied, forgiveness given, pointing toward that ultimate cleansing that would come in time. So all of these, we find this word and all its roots. There's some more that I didn't list. It's the act of propitiation. It's a provision of God. It's a provision of the love of God that he appointed in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. For you and you and you and me. It's an act of God. Because he loved us. He did this. To appease his own wrath. Which we justly deserved and he knew it. But out of that divine agape love. He made provision for his wrath. To be appeased. And the person of his son. That is love. The Lord Jesus Christ is the, our perpetuator. The one that did the act. He's also the propitiation. It was his blood that was spilt on the tree. 1 John 4, 10, herein is love. Love. Not that we loved him, but he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin through the most horrific death in our stead that we deserved. 
So the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ, which was celebrated Christmas time, was an incredible act of divine love, a display of divine love. But the supreme display or act and provision of divine love is the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ because it is our propitiation that enabled us to have an eternal relationship with God the Father. In regard to this, notice this, 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 is, this is a gripping passage to me. It always, every time I read it, speaking of the Lord Jesus prophetically in Isaiah chapter 53, 10 and 11, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It pleased the Lord God to bruise him for you and for me. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. That's our iniquities <laughs> right there. And it pleased God the Father to bruise his son in our behalf because of our iniquities. That is what this supreme act of love did. Made a provision for our iniquities. William Cowper was an 18th century poet. He had a miserable childhood. His mother died when he was six. He's immediately shuffled off to a, a home, a boarding school, where because he was slight of frame, he was a small fellow, sensitive sort of guy, he was continually mocked and ridiculed and bullied and beaten up by the older boys. He managed to get through all of that and he got out and he entered law school. But he had so much emotional baggage that on two different occasions he attempted to commit suicide. And finally, at the age of 26, he was placed at a, an asylum. Because that was in 1756. Which would not be a good place to go in 1756 to be put in an asylum. Not a good place to go now. But he's placed under the care of a Dr. Cotton. And Dr. Cotton was a godly man, devout man. And he took young William Cowper under his wing and helped him and ministered to him in a way that enabled him to be pulled out of this depression and all this emotional baggage and bondage that he had. And upon a day, along in the process, they shared the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ with him. This is what Cowper, this is his own words. This is what he said about that. And I quote, the happy period, which was to shake off my fetters and afford me a clear opening of the free mercy of God in Christ Jesus has now arrived. I flung myself down in a chair near the window 
and seeing a Bible there, I ventured to open it more than, once more to apply to it for comfort and instruction. The first verse I saw was in Romans chapter 3. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth to be a perpetuation, perpetuation through faith in his blood and declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. First thing you saw by the Holy Spirit. He said, immediately I received strength to believe and, and the full beams of the Son of Righteousness shone on me and I saw the fullness of the atonement he had made and the, my pardon in his blood and completeness of his justification. He said, in a moment, I believed and received the gospel. <laughs> Shortly after, he penned these lines. There's a fountain filled with blood flowing from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. The dying thief rejoiced to see that day that fountain in his day, and there have I, as vile as he, washed all my sins away. Ever since by faith I saw the stream, thy flowing wounds supply, redeeming love has been my theme, and shall be till I die. That, brothers and sisters in Christ, is propitiation. The divine act of God, motivated only by the Agape love of God to the extent that it pleased him to bruise his son. To have his son slaughtered like an, a, an animal in our behalf to be the propitiation of his own wrath against us which we duly deserve because of our sin. That is propitiation. And the question, the most important question in all of life, have you personally been by faith plunged beneath that flood, that blood flowing from Emmanuel's veins? And if you have, there's no wrath of God in your future, ever in your future. That's done. It was done on the cross before you ever were born. It was applied to your life when you were reborn in Christ Jesus through faith and trust in him. No, no wrath in your future. But if you're not, it's a whole different story. And if you've thought, let us help you. There are people sitting around you that are available. Those of you on the internet audience, we're available. You can contact us. You can talk to me. We want to help you because there's those in our past that helped us. Let's pray. Holy Father, we Lord, we love you. We're loving you back. <laughs> We're loving you back, Father, with the love that you loved us with first. And we're grateful, Master, for the eternal propitiation of our sin through our blessed Savior and Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, uh, give us grace and direction, enablement 
everything needful to live as shining lights, reflecting your glory, reflecting your love to each other and wherever we are in this planet during your appointed time for us to be on this planet. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen.